Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features the first chapter of Bait and Witch by Angela M. Sanders, book one in her Witch Way Librarian Mysteries series. It's read by local actor Ariel Lynn. Bait and Witch was published by Kensington in December of 2020. If you'd like to help support this podcast, listen for details in the closing of this episode on how to become a patron and get some fun perks. I scan the passing countryside in vain for signs of life. Fir trees pressed in over the pitted asphalt. After a few miles, the forest opened to a valley sparsely dotted with farmhouses. Only one lit in the night. I prayed I hadn't made a fatal mistake. The driver hadn't said more than a few words the whole hour-long drive from the airport. This job looks fascinating, I said, hoping to spark conversation. Why did the last librarian leave? The driver was a tall gent with a cowboy hat and an inscrutable expression. Every time the pickup hit a bump, his hat dented against the roof. Didn't work out, he said. I waited for more, but nothing came. I liked my tone and tried a different approach. When will we be in Wilfred? Ain't no Wilfred. My heart lodged in my throat. Oh, what do you mean? Had they tracked me down already? The driver didn't look like a for-hire killer, but I was no expert. My hand crept the door handle. I was ready to jump, no matter how fast the truck was going, when he finally responded. Ain't no Wilfred since the mill closed. I was hired as the Wilfred librarian. Sure. Folks still call it Wilfred. That's all. Calm down, I told myself. I was still shaky. When the plane had passed somewhere over the Midwest, I felt a visceral snap and jerked so violently that the woman in the next seat had fanned me with her magazine and asked if she could call the flight attendant. I gulped for my water bottle and forced myself to breathe. <sighs> After a moment, the internal earthquake had mellowed to tremors. I hadn't felt the same sense. The truck slowed. There was nothing around us but a corpse of trees intersected by a dirt lane. What are you doing? I asked. Sewing for the speed trap? The driver, Lyndon Forster, he told me, said. He shifted up. Never mind, we're clear. We're just about to the library. A minute later, we passed a few storefronts and a tavern with a nearly empty parking lot. I knew Wilfred was a small town, but, but I'd expected at least a stop sign. Rural Oregon couldn't be more different than the crowded sidewalks and high-rises I was used to back home in D.C. We crossed a narrow river, then hooked an immediate right to climb a gravel lane. Lyndon parked in a circular driveway and cut the lights. In front of us loomed a three-story Victorian mansion, replete with gingerbread trim and a central tower. We might have driven into a Victoria Halt gothic novel. We're here, he said. You've got to be kidding. The woman who hired me had said I'd be living above the library, and I'd envision a modern apartment atop a generic municipal building. Not much different from my one-bedroom apartment back home. I hadn't had time to ask a lot of questions. <sighs> Too late now. I stepped out of the truck. Crisp autumn air filled my lungs. 
It had to be near midnight, and a chiffon veil of moonlight filtered through the oak trees ringing the mansion. Just point me toward the door, and I'll take my bag and lead you to the rest of your night. I hope you don't have a long drive. In fact, I hoped he had a very long drive to somewhere far, far away. The man gave me the creeps. Nope, he said. I'm the caretaker here. Got a little place out back. He grabbed my suitcase and ambled up the steps, but bypassed the double doors in front. He stopped before rounding the corner. This way? We use the service entrance. I took a deep breath and followed. Maybe it was for the best. They'd never find me here, that was for sure. We climbed a narrow staircase, Lyndon hefting my suitcase over his shoulder like a sacrificial goat. The hall was cold and smelled of beeswax. Two flights up, he extracted a ring of keys from his Levi's and unlocked the door. He set down the suitcase. We stood in a hall that looked over the old house's central atrium, open all the way to the third floor ceiling. A stained glass window set in the roof glowed dull red and blue with moonlight. Below us, two floors of shadowed rooms that must have once been the house's bedrooms and parlors held bookshelves. Here we have the living room, he said. I stuck my head into a dark room with mullioned windows and the dim shapes of a sofa and chairs. Next is the bedroom. He waved his hand toward the next door, closed, but made no move toward invading those quarters. Here's the kitchen. Not too large, but plenty big for you, I reckon. The bloated form of a mid-century stove was all I could make out in the dark. Lyndon turned to examine me as if for the first time and drew his bushy eyebrows together. You feeling okay? You seem kind of jumpy. I'm fine. I lied. We moved on. The bathroom. The mint green bathtub and sink clearly hadn't been updated since the Eisenhower administration. Here are the keys. I'll show you more once you get settled in. He touched the brim of his hat and disappeared down the hall. After a moment, I heard the door shut and the solid thunk of a bolt thrown in place. Well... The apartment was quiet, but for the faraway sound of crickets. I rolled my suitcase to the bedroom and clicked on the lamp on the dresser. Pale light showed an armchair and a bed with an elaborately carved headboard that stretched nearly to the ceiling. Someone had left a jug of wildflowers on the dresser. A reassuring note. A pink envelope next to it was labeled, Josephine Way. I opened it to find a handwritten note from Darla Starling the woman who had hired me by phone. Dear Josie, it read in a girlish hand, each letter painstakingly formed. Welcome to Winifred. I hope you find your rooms comfortable. We changed the sheets, and there are fresh towels in the bathroom. We'll see you downstairs at nine tomorrow morning. I look forward to meeting you in person. Sincerely, Darla. A banner reading, Sweet Georgia Peaches, ran across the stationery's edge. I crossed the room to the window to draw the curtains and stopped short. Amber eyes stared back. It was a black cat, perched on the roof outside my window. I wasn't being watched, I reminded myself. No one knew I was here. They couldn't. It was just a cat. Just as I was about to jerk the chin strapes close, 
cat sat on his haunches and paddled his front paws comically on the window pane, before falling on his back in a move Buster Keaton would have envied. The cat opened one eye to make sure I was watching. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Feeling calmer, I turned to the task I'd been dreading. I'd seen a rotary phone on the kitchen wall. It had been years since I used one, but there was no question of using my cell phone. I'd left it at home, so I couldn't be traced. First, I dialed 1169 to block my number, then my sister Tony's number, even though it was three in the morning back home. I let it ring twice and hung up. Our signal. Then I called again, again blocking my number. Tony Marie Antoinette was her full name. Our historian father had named each of the three of us after French queens. Answered with a hesitant, Yes? It's me, Josie. What time is it? Is everything all right? In those few words, her voice went from drowsy to alert. How's New York? About that. I screwed my eyes closed and opened them. Out with it. I'm not in New York. She groaned. Oh, Josie, you haven't. I won't tell you where I am, but I wanted you to know I'm okay. Just in case you called the hotel and found out I hadn't checked in. So, you ran. I'll come home after the trial. It'll only be a few months. I already gave my deposition. They don't need me now. I knew this would happen. Couldn't the feds hide you somewhere? What about the witness protection program? <sighs> I don't feel good about this. After what happened to Anton, I didn't want to take the chance. The week before, my coworker and fellow whistleblower, Anton, had vanished, leaving a wife and toddler daughter with no idea whether he was dead or alive. Are you okay? Yes, that's it. I'm not sure. I had this weird episode on the plane, like my innards were exploding. Is that what a panic attack feels like? Tony was a physician, she'd know. Not usually. Stress does weird things, though. I'd had plenty of stress. I pulled aside my collar and pressed a finger on my star-shaped birthmark on my shoulder. Ever since I was a girl, I touched it for comfort. Tonight, it almost burned. I'm sure I'll be better in the morning. You really won't tell me where you are? No. You know I can't, but you should see it here. It's crazy, like I stepped into Cold Comfort Farm. The guy who drove me from the airport could have been nicknamed Lurch. I'm waiting for a raven to appear on a tree branch outside. Just give me your town's name. What if something happened to you? No, I can't. It's better this way. I toyed with the phone's coiled cord. I'll call Mom tomorrow, I said, replying to Tony's unspoken question. All our lives, my sisters and I had shared a tacit communication. We could work elbow to elbow in Mom's kitchen and never get in each other's way. We'd pass half a cup of milk or plug in the mixer or set the oven's timer for another sister without saying a word. 
It's late. I need to get to bed. I just wanted you to know I'm all right. After hanging up, I laid my nightgown on the foot of the bed. On impulse, I heaved up the bedroom window. Oak trees vanished into the night. Beyond the trees was a cabin that couldn't have been more than a few rooms. The caretakers, I guessed. Beyond that, maybe 50 yards away, was a house as large as the library, but squat and wide. I made out the glow of a light in an upstairs window. As I watched, a window shade pulled shut and blocked it out. A breeze whooshed through the dry leaves, carrying a few to rattle against the roof. Good night, wind, I said, almost hearing my grandmother whisper the words in my ear. Funny, I hadn't greeted the wind since I was a girl. The black cat returned too, patting up the shingles below my window. Who are you, little guy? He took two steps forward, mouthed a silent meow, and leapt away into the darkness. This reading of Bait and Witch was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Lori Lewis Ham. You can learn more about the author on her website, AngelaMSanders.com. If you'd like to help us be able to continue to bring you more mystery fun, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash kingsriverlife. Even $1 a month can make a difference, and we could really use your support. Watch for even more great perks coming soon for our patrons. We would like to thank our new patron, Hope Nicely, for her support. We also have some cool merchandise available on Redbubble. Check out the show notes for the link and for the links to our websites and social media. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. And subscribe to our podcast newsletter for bonus content. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate or review it, as this helps make us easier for others to find. And, of course, be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, this is your announcer wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.